This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. They're going to kill the love of my life. Daisy! If I don't go back to what I was doing. This Friday. Our line of work is quite brutal and quite ruthless. How far would you go for love? You steal truck, bring it to me. Then you make your money. Is it dangerous? Of course it's dangerous! Nicholas Holt, Felicity Jones, with Ben Kingsley and Anthony Hopkins. All this trouble, all this pain, for love. Collide, in theaters Friday. Rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Welcome to East Coast Offense. This is Chris Liss, the host of this podcast, trying to get this thing going. Didn't book any guests today. I tried. It wasn't for lack of trying. Nobody could do it. Actually, nobody even responded. But uh, who cares? I was going to, you know, I thought about it when uh, I was talking to Peter Shanky about doing a podcast that I might do the podcast solo anyway. Not that I would never have guests, but it would just be a solo podcast, basically. And then for some reason I got into this mindset where, you know, if I didn't have a guest, you know, then I really shouldn't record because just me rambling on, you know, talking to nobody basically. And then, you know, what's, what's the use in that? But, uh, but I was driving today and, uh, to get a cup of coffee and I, I heard John Hansen, uh, doing his show solo on the Sirius XM fantasy channel. And he was, he was doing just fine. You know, he was, uh, he was killing some time, I think here and there, I could kind of tell. But he had three hours. I'm only going to do this for, I don't know, 15 minutes, half an hour. So it's, this is easy. This is child's play. It's no big deal. Anyway, a couple things uh, on my mind. Uh, first off, I don't know why I was thinking about this, but you know in Game of Thrones, um, I was thinking about how Tyrion was the uncle of King Joffrey, right? It was his sibling's son was the king, and Joffrey was the – I mean, and Tyrion was the uncle. But he wasn't really his uncle. He was his double uncle, right? Because – if you think about it, he is, is bro- it was his brother's son and also his sister's son. Normally, if you're an uncle of somebody, it's your sibling's child, your sibling's son. But then there's another person with totally different genetics mixed in, right? Their husband or wife. But in the case of Game of Thrones, actually, it's a double nephew. So he had a double nephew. Um, and I just think that that's just so interesting that, uh, that you get that, you know, if in that case, it was a double nephew and he had double nieces. And those are almost like a, you know, that's almost like having your own kid because the genes are so similar. There's not this other person with a presumably totally separate gene pool. So anyway, uh, it was just something that I was thinking about. 
Um, the other thing that's been on my mind, and I, I feel bad even trying to say this and argue for this because let's say I'm right. I, I don't deserve credit. It's so obvious. But people are arguing that Steve Smith, the Ravens receiver, who's now 36, I believe, is somebody you actually want to draft. And, again, I, I don't want to, like, take credit for being right about this because it seems to me that, you know, given that he was 35 last year and he got off to a hot start, and then in the last 10 games of the year he had two touchdowns and no 100-yard games. So he had 10 whole games, and he claimed apparently, I think John Hansen talked to him, um, as at least what Hansen told me, that teams started, you know, shutting him down, double and tripling teaming him, uh, and then Torrey Smith kind of went off in the second half. But given that the only other, you know, ostensible starter on the Ravens right now is Brashad Perriman, the rookie, at the very least they're going to double – team Steve Smith for God knows what reason even more. I mean, I don't think they should double team Smith, but if they were doing that last year with Torrey Smith, who was an experienced productive veteran receiver, they're going to do it even more with, with Steve Smith this year. And Steve Smith is just not good enough at this stage of his career at 36. He's a great receiver. I mean, he's probably, he's a borderline hall of fame receiver. He probably falls just short, but he had a very good career. But at this stage, you know, he's just not good enough to handle that. And you know, the, the arguments for Steve Smith have been, well, who else are they going to throw to? He's such a competitor, you know, in camp. You know, being a competitor and being driven the way he is, that's probably a big advantage in camp, right? You have all these rookies that are a little nervous, and you have people who are just kind of getting in shape. And he's competing like, you know, it's life and death on every play. So, of course, he's going to look good in camp. But everybody's competing like that, you know, or at least more people, if not most people, are competing like that when the games start. And just trying really hard and being really into it and being really pissed off while you're playing is not going to translate, I don't think, as much in a real game where everyone's at their maximum than, you know, when you're going through training camp and most people are just shaking off the cobwebs. So to me, those reports mean nothing. And uh, and the other argument is, well, you know, he who else are they going to throw to? You know, Perriman's raw. He doesn't run routes well, apparently, all this stuff. And maybe that's true. I really don't know. But. I think this is a mistake uh, in law. It's a logical fallacy. And I think the the fallacy arises from a misunderstanding of what replacement value is. So if you were to look at the Ravens roster from a fantasy perspective and you were to look at the guys beyond Steve Smith, you'd say, okay, Brashad Perriman has some upside. We don't really know. There's Marlon Brown. There's Kamar Aiken. There's a bunch of scrubs. Michael Caminero, I think, rookie last year. There's a bunch of other guys on the roster. And if you look, you know, at a draft board, like the only guys you really draft are Smith, who I wouldn't draft. Perriman, who I definitely would draft, and then maybe somebody might draft Marlon Brown really late. And the fact that Dennis Pitta is, you know, very shaky to, to play this year, and Max Williams is also a rookie, the other tight end, um, it looks like uh, there's, you know, not a lot of options uh, for Joe Flacco to throw to. And so if you look at replacement value from the fantasy perspective, there's basically zeros there. There's guys that are not even draftable, mostly, okay? And so if we assume that Joe Flacco throws the ball 500-plus, 550-plus times, well, someone's got to get the targets. And the logic is, well, look, there's nobody else there. It has to be Steve Smith. But that may be true in fantasy, that the sort of replacement-level guys on the Ravens are worthless in fantasy as of right now. But that is not true for the Ravens or for an NFL team. And let me explain. Just because we don't know the names of these guys, the seventh or sixth or fifth receiver, the undrafted free agents, whoever else, doesn't mean that those guys have zero value. These guys are all elite athletes. If you played in the park with these guys, you would just your jaw would drop of how good they are. 
And there is an opportunity there. There is not nobody there. There is somebody there. We just don't know who that is. And if they did get the opportunities, they would have some sort of value. You know, you look at what happened with Victor Cruz on the Giants, came out of nowhere and became a superstar. Not saying that one of these guys is going to be Victor Cruz. I'm saying one of these guys is probably better than 36-year-old Steve Smith. And when the Ravens realize that 36-year-old Steve Smith is just it, by no means a number one or even a number two receiver in the NFL at this stage of his career, more like Reggie Wayne last year where he just kind of fell off and then got hurt, um, they're going to find somebody to take that role. Now, Perriman is the best bet. Marlon Brown has a chance or maybe somebody we don't know. But the replacement value in real-life NFL is not zero. It's a super athlete who's big and fast and you know has a billion-dollar organization dedicated to getting this guy on the same page as this quarterback and running routes and learning the blocking and everything else. Maybe there's nobody that can do that, but – it's not like it's not for lack of trying and it's not for lack of resources or for lack of athletic talent on the roster. It just means we don't know who it is yet. So I am not drafting Steve Smith anywhere near where he's being drafted. I think it's it's just crazy. You know, as great of a career as he's had at 36, he's done. And he's not big and there's he can't just rely on size. He's he's lost a step speed-wise and quickness-wise. You know, he may have the competitiveness, but to me it's not enough. So, I, again, I feel bad. If I'm right about this, I don't want to take credit. It's, it's too obvious. But people are actually arguing on behalf of him because of, you know, who's, who else is on the roster. Another guy I've seen ranked a lot higher than I think he should be is Teddy Bridgewater. Now, people, you know, of all the rookie quarterbacks last year, he may have had the most promising season. I actually think Zach Met- Mettenberger was better for the very small sample that he had. But we'll never know because they drafted a QB with the second overall pick uh, in Marcus Mariota. So, Mettenberger is now a backup. So Bridgewater may be the best of a weak QB class last year, um, and he may get better, and he may actually may be, he may turn out to be good. But take a look at this setup here, right? You have a defensive coach in Mike Zimmer, and the Vikings D may not be great, but it should be at least okay. Uh, you have Adrian Peterson, who they're going to give the ball now, you know, now that he's settled and apparently is, you know, it's harmonious in Minnesota between him and the Vikings. Um, is going to get a ton of carries. They're going to be a running team. So you've got this heavy ground game with guys like Jarek McKinnon and Asiata to get some complimentary carries. And then you have a bunch of receivers that people like. People like Charles Johnson. He's big. He's fast. They like Mike Wallace. He's super fast. But where are those guys getting drafted in fantasy, right? Let's just look at the, what the market says about these guys. The market says that neither of them are top 25 receivers. Johnson's kind of scratching the surface of being top 25, probably not. And then Wallace, more like 30-35. So you have neither guy is a top 25 guy. Okay, that means, you know, there's 24 other receivers ahead of them. There's only 32 teams, right? So let's just say some of them are on the same team, the top two, you know, guys like Emmanuel Sanders and Demarius Thomas. But there's probably 19 or 20 teams with a better number one in terms of what we expect production-wise than Charles Johnson. And... So, you know, is Kyle Rudolph going to pick up the slack? Well, he's not really a top 10 ADP tight end. So, you know, is Peterson a massive pass catcher out of the backfield? No. You know, people are assuming Norv Turner is magic or something, and there's going to be, you know, a 50-catch season or a 45-catch season for Peterson. It's possible. I wouldn't bank on it, though. So nobody's really thinking that their passing game is going to help you know, that the receivers are going to get a lot of production. So I don't really see what the upside for Teddy Bridgewater is. He runs a little. That helps. I just don't see upside there in that situation. So 
you know, I understand like with your first QB or in a two QB league, just sort of having the job, being unquestioned for it, getting some rushing yards that has value. But in a one QB league, which is what most leagues are, who cares about his floor? Why do you want to take, you know, with your backup QB a floor? What does that do for you? I mean, whatever. You can pick up a, a bye week QB on the on waivers. What you want is RG3, right, who, if everything's right, could be a monster, could run for 700 yards and five touchdowns and throw for 3,500 yards and 22 touchdowns, right? That's what you want. Carson Palmer even is old. He's immobile at this point. But he's got some receivers who are big playmakers, at least John Brown and Michael Floyd. Larry Fitzgerald is not at this point. But you could see him throwing a lot under Bruce Arians and having a 4,500-yard season, a 28-touchdown season. You know, Andy Dalton, we saw what he did two years ago. He's got a lot of weapons now that A.J. Green is healthy. Marvin Jones, Tyler Eifert, Gio Bernard. You know, there's a lot of weapons in Cincinnati. So you could see Andy Dalton getting 29 touchdowns again. He runs a little bit, too. I just don't see the upside for Bridgewater. So you're talking about a backup QB. You want one of these guys to pop, right, so that you could trade Aaron Rodgers if that's your first QB or Peyton Manning if he shows that he's himself. Or you can at least, you know, if one of your guys gets hurt, you have a, a starter that's every week. You know, for Bridgewater, that's like drafting Flacco. Flacco's fine. He's a decent real-life QB. But in fantasy, why would you draft him? You know, you, there's just no – in a one QB league, he's just the waiver wire guy you use as a sub. Right, unless we're talking like a 16-team league. I'm talking about a 12-team, one QB league. I don't understand why people like Teddy Bridgewater so much. Um, the other guy that I almost feel bad even bashing because I don't think he's a serious – I mean, I don't see why people are taking him that seriously is Eric Decker. First off, Eric Decker, if you look at his numbers last year, they weren't bad. But that was totally because of a 220-yard week 17 that – basically salvaged really poor overall numbers. And, of course, no one used him in Week 17. Now, it still counts in real life. I mean, it's still indicative of his skills. But he was a very big bust last year, and he was hurt. He played through a hamstring injury for a while. Um, but then they add Brandon Marshall into it. And Decker's a year older. He's now, what, 28 or something? So he's not, you know, he's going, you know, th- this is on the decline phase. He's not in a steep decline. He's only 28, but it's not like he's went from 24 to 25, or 23 to 24 in a growth phase. He's on a decline phase. They bring in a dominant number one target, red zone target. You could say what you want about Marshall, whether he's too old or washed up, but he's gonna, they're going to throw to him. And I actually like Geno Smith. I think he looked okay at points last year. I think he's as good a bet as Teddy Bridgewater to break out personally. Um, but you know, I, I just don't see how the Jets are going to suddenly become an elite passing offense. It seems very unlikely. And you got two, you know, you got another guy there who's also going to cut into his red zone look. So, again, I, don't, I just don't see it. I don't see where where the ceiling is. Um, I'll, I'll, you know what? I I don't know why. I just I didn't plan just to talk about double nephews and uh, guys. I think will be busts. I was going to talk about some other stuff too. But but here, you know, here's the thing. Um, every year. If you were to Google this, I, I, I promise you it is much easier to find sleeper columns than bust columns. And I think, you know, there's a couple of reasons for that. One is, you know, sleepers are, are more fun. I mean, you, you're, you know, it's a positive thing. I also think like once people have drafted or like players, you know, it's just a much more friendly thing to talk about who might break out because people be like, oh, great. I have them on my team. I'm glad you wrote that. They're, it makes readers enthusiastic. Who might bust? Nobody wants to hear it. You know, somebody might want to hear that, but. 
the fact is people who have those players are going to be pissed. They're not going to like it. And it's kind of more, you know, if you choose some sleepers who are going to break out, a bunch of them don't, you know, they were long shots anyway. But if you choose busts and they have a good year, you know, it's kind of embarrassing. But the reality is if you look at, you know, sort of preseason predictions and then postseason stats, the bust, the bust column where you pick 10 busts is way more likely to be accurate than the sleeper column where you pick 10 sleepers. They're just way more busts. I mean, there's just so many. I mean, you could look at, like, the second round last year, and half of the guys are busts. In the third round, it's like three-quarters of them. And as you go deeper, they're, they're worse and worse. And, I, again, I'm aiming for some pretty low-hanging fruit. I haven't called any – I haven't been calling any first-round busts here. And I'm not sure – you know, there's guys I, I don't think I'm going to draft, like Matt Forte. Although, um, last night in the uh, NFFC beat Chris List League, I was picking in the uh, second spot. And on the way back in the second round, if there's a PPR league – Forte is, you know, a couple picks away, and I'm kind of dreading it. I'm thinking, someone please take Forte because I don't want to have to take him because it's just such a ridiculous value because I don't like him, and I probably would have passed on him. But, I mean, at a certain point, you got to take these guys you don't like. You can't be that committed to your view because your view might be wrong, right? I mean, I, I may hate Forte, and I could be wrong. And then at the end of the second round, that is a great value in PPR. But uh, mercifully, someone took him a couple picks before me, so I didn't have that problem. And then, thankfully, someone took Arian Foster a couple of picks before me, who I did want. Um, now he seems like he's hurt, maybe, you know, for six or eight weeks. I don't know what the exact timetable is. Um, but anyway, uh, that is also often a uh, an issue I face because I, I want to just take the guys that I like, and I don't like value. You know, I don't like the idea of, oh, it's a great value. I had to take him because then I'm taking a team based on the market and. I guess that works sometimes. I guess if you're really agnostic about a player, like you don't think good or bad of him, and it's like, okay, it's just time, um, then that works. But I feel like if you have sort of a negative vibe about a player like Forte, who seems to me a classic case of get out a year too early than a year too late, meaning he could, you know, this, you know, he could drop off the map this year, and you're glad he didn't draft him, or he could have another great year. But it's coming soon, the drop off, and with Trespin gone. And coming off the career receptions year, I just uh, I'll steer clear. But again, he's not being priced like a guy who caught a hundred balls. He's being priced like a guy people are worried about. So I wouldn't really knock the guy that took him at whatever the fourth to last pick of the second round last night. I just don't want to be that guy. You know, sometimes I'd rather be wrong, going with my thing than you know, than go with someone than, than go with something I heard or the value or the ADP and then you know be wrong based on that. At least. These are my guys. This is my observation. And it's it's actually really worked out in baseball this year. And in a way, it's weird. I'm having the best baseball season, I think, of maybe my whole life. I, I you know, I have to think back. I've had a couple good baseball years. I had some droughts. This has been the best year I think I've ever had, knock on wood. There's still two months left, and it could all go to shit if, you know, whatever. I, I need a couple guys to produce. But this year I did less prep than I've ever done. I didn't go through our depth charts with a fine tooth comb like I usually do and really delve into every single possible player. I just kind of eyeballed it and then just was very committed to not listening to other people, just going with my instincts. Even if, you know, if I wasn't sure, just go with what I thought based on my experience and knowledge and knock on wood so far, so good. Um, and, uh, that's it. That's what I'm doing with football too. 
All right. Well, I think that's enough for today. This is the East Coast Offense Podcast. It's Chrysalis. Be sure to check out Rotowire, rotowire.com slash radio for a free 10-day trial. We have everything you could possibly need for your drafts, including customizable stats just for your league based on your league's parameters. Again, rotowire.com slash radio. Good luck drafting.